0: Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanacademy.com. That's McClanahanacademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 minutes of American history when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanacademy.com, enroll and get a real history education. Is the United States government ready to blot out a racist monument? We'll we'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, Brian McClanahan.com. That's B R I O N McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show there by clicking on the support tab or you can go to McClanahan Academy.com. You've already heard about that. You can also go to Learn True, T R U E, Learn True History.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Wood's Liberty Classroom. Click on the shop tab at BrianMcLanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you love it. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Comment on YouTube for the algorithm. Let people know you love the show. I appreciate all of you listening. It's been a few weeks here. I've only been doing two podcasts a week. We're going to get back in the saddle to four a week. I think next week, which would be Memorial Day week. But still, we're going to be back at it. I had a few things to take care of in the last few weeks, so um, I'm sorry for the two times instead of four times, but we're going to be back in the saddle very shortly. So, let's talk about the topic, and that is this uh, belief that somehow this racist monument in Arlington is now going to come down, and that's going to solve all of our woes in America. Now, there was a piece written at The Nation, go figure, by an art quote-unquote historian, Aaron Thompson. And I found this piece to be fascinating for a number of reasons. One, it shows you how stupid these people really are, because they don't really do any research. They don't go look at anything. They read a secondary source and think that solves that's conclusively proved their side. It's solved the argument. It's 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 ended debate. That's just stupid. It really is stupid. For a historian to sit there and say a debate is over because somebody wrote a book. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's the antithesis of real history and scholarship. The debate's never over. In fact, uh, I think that what you could say about Levine's book, which is what she's talking about. Now, uh, the fact is, this searching for black confederates, as I've talked about on this show, and as I've pointed out in other places, is one of the worst examples of real historical scholarship that's ever been produced in the modern era. It's really bad. In fact, the last part of the book is based on blog posts. I mean, you can't make this up. It's based on blog posts. Now, the first part of the book is also based on blog posts. It's actually the weakest part of the book, and that's the part of the book that would seem to have the most juice to it. What Levine does in the last part of the book is simply try to take down some of the modern people who are African American who go out and promote uh, black Confederates. He tries to take them apart and say these people are just not even that smart and they don't know anything but the first part of the book uh, has his uh, his arguments that no black Confederates existed. It's simply stupid. I mean, it, it's it's really bad scholarship, uh, and that's part of this essay that Erin Thompson has written. She relies on on searching for black Confederates to uh, to make her point. Now, I'm going to talk about this Arlington Monument in in a couple of different ways. I've actually written a a script for a video that's out at abbevilleinstitute.org and also on YouTube, on their YouTube channel, where I go through, you know, what's happening with the Arlington Confederate Monument. If you don't know anything about it, maybe you're listening to this overseas. Uh, in the post-bellum period after the war, William McKinley, who was President of the United States, who actually served as an officer in the Union Army, decided that a section of Arlington Cemetery needed to be set aside for a Confederate dead. Now, there were already... Uh, several hundred uh, Confederates buried around Washington, D.C., former Confederate soldiers, and he thought they needed a section of Arlington Cemetery. So he recommended to Congress, uh, uh, he made a proposal for these people to be reinterred at Arlington. Congress followed through with that. Uh, The Secretary of War, Elihu Root, didn't really like the idea that much. Uh, But... Uh, Eventually, Congress followed through, and these men were reinterred at Arlington Cemetery. So there's about 400 now Confederate soldiers buried at Arlington. Now, of course, the entire house is a memorial to the Confederacy, as it was Robert E. Lee's house. But the reason Arlington Cemetery is there is because, of course, Montgomery Meigs, who was a Union officer, decided that they needed to plant Union dead in Robert E. Lee's backyard. Of course, Lee's home was confiscated by the United States government illegally. In fact, the Lee family won in court. Uh, It didn't matter because once they had the uh, cemetery in the backyard, they really couldn't use the house anymore anyways. That was the entire point. Montgomery Meigs was bitter because his son, of course, had been killed in the war. He blamed everything on Lee and all these quote-unquote traitors, and he had to punish them. And that was the way to do it, to put these dead in their backyard. So we have Arlington National Cemetery then created. Most of the men who were buried there were, uh, of course, Union soldiers. uh, Also, then later on, soldiers in every major American war. It's the most famous cemetery in the United States. But it does have a Confederate section with about 400 soldiers buried there. Later on, uh, there was a proposal made by the United Daughters of the Confederacy to have a monument erected in this part of Arlington Cemetery, to have a Confederate monument placed there to honor the Confederate dead who were buried there, and not just those Confederate dead, but also the Confederate dead buried all over the United States as a symbol in many ways of the Confederate soldier. Now, the memorial that was created, the monument that was created, was sculpted by a man named Moses Ezekiel. He was a Jewish uh, American. Um, he had studied in Berlin. Uh, he was uh, also a Confederate soldier at one point, fought at the Battle of New Market. And so he is one of the most famous sculptors, uh, sculptorist artists in the world. And so he's commissioned to do the work. And the monument he creates is entitled The New South. And what he did in this monument was to essentially bury the wounds of the war that was the point it was to show that the war is over that the south had had uh taken their swords and made them into plowshares and so that was a symbol of reconciliation they called it the new New south monument but the spirit of the monument was always reconciliation and if you go back and look at the dedication ceremony and read the speeches that were made on that particular day. And this is something that, of course, uh, you've got people like uh, I think it's Karen Cox and others have gone out and said, well, these monuments were all about white supremacy and history and slavery and all these things, uh, because they're reading the dedication ceremonies. They conveniently leave this one off, and some of the others too. I mean, there was one a very beautiful monument uh, erected in Chicago at, um, at uh, Oakwood Cemetery there, and it was uh, the, the dedication was attended by Grover Cleveland, who was president of the United States at the time. Also, the American minister of Liberia, who was an African-American. Now, they had no problem with it. It's in a cemetery. And if you go back and look at uh, what people were saying about Confederate monuments, when all of this hubbub about taking these things down started about uh, eight years ago, well, we don't want to touch any in cemeteries. We're just looking at those monuments that are in public places, like uh, courthouse squares and uh, you know things like that they need to come down but cemeteries we need to leave those alone well this is a monument in a cemetery in fact at the dedication ceremony which I'm going to read you a part of this it was explicitly stated that this monument was to represent all Confederate dead around the United States that was the point it was about the dead and nothing else it was about a war that was over and remembering the men who fought in the war that's the whole point. It wasn't to make a political statement. It wasn't to make some type of uh, racist statement. And this is what Aaron Thompson saw: well, this racist monument's going away. What does that even mean, any, by the way, anyways? What is a racist monument? When can monuments be racist? Uh, this is just, the term has no meaning anymore. It's lost everything because these people use it to define anything they don't like. And Aaron Thompson doesn't like this monument. She doesn't like the South. She doesn't really like the Confederacy. She doesn't like any of that. So she just calls it racist because that is the way they can just discredit anything they don't like. I think Americans overall have started to look beyond that and say, well, this is, I mean, give me an example of how this monument is racist. Where is it racist? In fact, if you look at the friezes on the monument, it's the exact opposite of that. Uh, if, if Moses, Ezekiel, if these people were racist in the way these people describe, well, then they wouldn't have included any African-Americans in the monument. They wouldn't have included familiar relations with whites and blacks in the South in the monument. That's what I think the real travesty of all this is, is that if somebody does that, if somebody shows that there were actually a, a uh, there was a relationship between black and white Southerners that was not hostile, that's somehow racist. I mean, think about that. The only thing that's not racist is creating division, antagonisms, and hostility. That's not racist, but it's racist to say that these people actually had familiar relations and um, you know loved each other in many ways. And this is what Booker T. Washington, and I mentioned in the in the in the video that I made for the institute, and also this this white paper has found its way into the Defend Arlington uh, collection, that Booker T. Washington, who wrote up from slavery around the time the monument was being debated and then also you know, commissioned and then created, wrote his Up from Slavery, his autobiography. And he has a section in there where he talks about uh, the fact that, of course, slaves in the South wanted to be free. That's understandable. They didn't want to be part of this system. That's understandable. Uh, but at the same time, they were willing to lay down their lives to protect people in the South from assault from Union soldiers who would come through or any thieves, brigands, anybody else that was in the area as the men were all fighting in war. And they grieved when, when these people died. Why? Well, because there was a certain amount of uh, familiar relationship here. It's natural. I mean, this is what I, uh, people just don't get. This is not lost cause propaganda. This is Booker T. Washington saying these things. Uh, this is what, I mean, you you would have in human relationships. Uh, you can understand, nobody wanted to be part of the institution of slavery, and slavery itself, just because of the power situation created all kinds of terrible dynamics. But to say that there wouldn't have been some type of reciprocal familiar relationships in these people is just ridiculous. In fact, all the major histories that were any good written in the 20th century have pointed this out. Eugene Genovese, Fogel and Engerman, I mean, the stuff is there. This isn't this isn't you know, creating something out of thin air and simply going back and reading you know the Southern Historical Society papers. This is people that have gone out and done actual research and not by the way Southerners. These are people who have done this stuff. Eugene is from New York. Folk and Engerman are not from the South. In fact, uh, neither one of them really liked the South that much. But what they did when they went out and and actually did research, they found. Uh, some very interesting information about the institution in the South. It's not to defend it. In fact, they say it's a horrible institution. Both do. They're not defending it at all. You don't have to defend it simply to talk about the history of it in a way that would be an understanding rather than a a political uh, 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 polemic or some type of activism. Um, That's what history has devolved into, and this is what Aaron Thompson does in this piece, at The Nation. So you've got this monument that, of course, um, Taft, who's president, the United States Confederacy approached Taft. He agrees to a monument. Moses Ezekiel sculpts it. And then when Woodrow Wilson is president, it's unveiled. And at that ceremony, you had some really interesting things said about the monument itself from both Northerners and Southerners. So there, was, there were Northerners in attendance and there were Southerners in attendance. There were people that were representing the sons of Confederate veterans and there were people that were representing the uh, Grand Army of the Republic, which was the Union counterpart to the sons of Confederate veterans, or I should say the, the Confederate veterans. Uh, the Confederate veterans, not the sons, but the Confederate veterans. The sons, um, the United Daughters of the Confederacy were there, the sons were there, but the Confederate veterans were also there. So uh, this is a, a really interesting uh, monument because it's all about reconciliation. The New South reconciliation, that's the whole point. Memorializing dead, it's in a cemetery. And if someone like David Blight, this is I'll I'll get into this in a minute, but David Blight says, well, I'm all for taking down Confederate monuments anywhere, but not in cemeteries. They have to be left alone. This is in a cemetery. And in fact, the naming commission was explicitly told you can't go after monuments in cemeteries. That's where this is. It's in a cemetery. So they violated the charter. They violated all the requirements of the naming commission and unfortunately the naming commission was put into effect because Republicans are addicted to cash when it comes to defense spending. It was a defense spending bill and the Democrats threw this in there and said we'll vote for it if you give us this and people like Mike Rogers in Alabama betrayed his constituents and said I'm going to vote for it. When Trump vetoed it, they overrode the veto. This is how stupid the Republican Party is. Trump vetoed the bill because he said this was in it and he wasn't going to go along with it. And the Republicans, the Republicans overrode the veto because cash. This is what I talked about this week when it comes to the, the budget and, of course, the default and all these things. It's about cash. Republicans want to spend it on what they want to spend it on. Democrats want to spend it on what they want to spend it on. In fact, there are some articles now coming out. They're saying in the negotiations, Republicans aren't necessarily worried about cutting too much spending. They're okay with some spending. It's just how it's getting spent. And they want to increase defense spending, you see. They're addicted to the cash too because that to them, the military industrial complex, is essential for their constituents. So the monument's unveiled and it stands there. It's a beautiful monument. It stands there now for over a hundred years. It's been there since the Wilson administration and somehow this monument has become offensive. I mean, somehow, in some way, the monument now offends people. A monument. It's 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 a benign thing in many ways. It's there as a remembrance. Uh, it's there as a symbol of uh, reconciliation and goodwill and fraternity, and of course to honor all Confederate dead anywhere. Just like the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is there to honor uh, every soldier that's died and been unrecognized in battle. Doesn't matter about the people that are buried there. It matters only about the symbol of it. And this Confederate monument is a symbol for all Confederate dead anywhere. This was said at the dedication ceremony. So when you take off, when you scalp the monument, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to leave the granite there so not to disturb the graves, as Aaron Thompson points out. We're not going to disturb the graves by scalping the monument. We're just going to take off the most beautiful part of it. But we're not going to disturb the graves underneath. We're just going to scalp it. And that's somehow going to preserve... Um, I don't know, the remembrance of what? We're just going to have this block of granite sitting there. This is just stupid. Uh, these people really are deficient when it comes to any kind of mental capacity. And, of course, Aaron Thompson is an art historian. An art historian who um, probably would think that uh, you know a painting of a line would be some type of beautiful, abstract work of art she doesn't she wouldn't know beautiful art if it smacked her in the face because that's what exactly what this thing is it's a beautiful work of art just as most of the memorials and monuments put up around the time of, of of the late 19th century early 20th century war monuments north and south many of them are beautiful i mean they're just beautiful works of art i don't care if you're talking about the monuments in the north or the monuments in the south the monuments in the south in fact when the simple confederate soldier some of those just really aren't that Spectacular. They were actually mass produced. But the point was remembering the dead. This is how they phrased it. This is how Confederate, former Confederates themselves phrased it. It's about remembering dead. In fact, again, the dedication ceremony brings this up. We've got more monuments to Confederate dead uh, around, there's more monuments to Confederates around the South than any other part of the world it's because this was such a traumatic moment for the people of the south that they wanted to some they had to have some type of closure i mean no one really gets this the south lost minimum 300,000 men in that war 300,000 men uh, the entire society was transformed And you can look at it in many different ways. You can look at it economically it was transformed, socially it was transformed, politically it was transformed. All of these ways it's transformed. Now some might think these were good transformations. Some might think they're bad transformations. But either way it's transformed. And so people are wrestling with this now in the South. They're coming to grips with this monumental transformation in their section. They've lost 300,000 people. 75% of white Southerners went off to fight in this war. 75%, and you had every family in the South affected by the war in terms of a violent outcome in one way or another, whether it was a loved one being killed, a loved one being wounded and maimed. Uh, It could be that you've lost your property. It could be that you've lost all of your money. It could be that your town has been burned to the ground. It could be all kinds of things. It could be any of that. And so people are dealing with this and trying to come to grips with what's happening. So they put up these monuments because they want to remember. They want to somehow have something positive out of this. These people died. They were heroes. They were heroes. That's all we have left is remembering. That's it. And so this monument in Arlington, which is put up, again, during the Wilson administration, finally dedicated during the Wilson administration, is maybe the greatest monument in that way. I mean, there were some pretty grand monuments across the South. Most of them are now gone. They've been bulldozed, chopped up. Um, When you look at some, particularly in Richmond, which was uh, the Monument Avenue there, was one of the great artistic avenues in the world. Now that's all gone. It's just, you know, open space. One day, people will look back at this, maybe two hundred years from now, and say this is a great a great travesty. Just as people look back at the French Revolution now, and think that what the what the uh, radicals were doing there, the Jacobins were doing there, was completely preposterous, uh, violent, destructive, nasty, um, and disgusting. And I think one day people are going to look back at the Jacobins who are doing this now in the United States and say the same thing about them. Uh, anyone with with the brains going to do that. But I want to read... I'm not going to read Aaron Thompson's piece because it's just stupid. There's no reason for it. It's the same kind, kind of uh, you know tripe that you're going to get from anything else. It's about the racist monument. It's finally coming down. And the thing she does in the piece, the other thing I find fascinating, she attacks Twitter people. She, she Her whole life is Twitter. So what she does, she goes out to Twitter and she found a synonymous account under Jefferson Davis, which, by the way, uh, it's an interesting account to follow. I would highly recommend it. He puts up really good stuff from... Uh, history books that were written by northerners. It's an interesting account. But she attacks this particular account and a couple of others uh, because, well, they attacked her. And she's glad that this monument's coming down, this racist monument, which she she attacks the lawsuit. She points out some problems with it in her mind and uh, other things. What she doesn't do, though, is provide an accurate history of the entire thing. And and, uh, the account under Jefferson Davis responded... To, uh, to her, he, he asked to have it published in the nation. They wouldn't do it. So the Abbeville Institute published it. And um, he pointed out you know, a couple of really important things. Number one, uh, people at the time looked at it as a reconciliation monument. Thompson makes the case nobody ever called it that. They physically called it that. So because they never literally called it the reconciliation monument, we can't call it a reconciliation monument but uh, let's let's see what people at the time and I'm talking about the dedication ceremony the dedication ceremony what did they actually say about this monument so the uh, one of the speeches which was actually delivered by the Confederate veteran uh, this was the the principal speech. Of course, Woodrow Wilson also made a speech, but this was the most important speech. He says, All the South thanks you, Mr. Chairman and your associates, for this magnificent testimonial to its soldiers and its cherished cause. We are glad that this monument is the product not only of a great artist, but of one who wore the gray, one who proudly and justly claims a share in the renown of the men who followed its adored standard. We rejoice to see these last days, the great days when men are big enough and broad enough and wise enough and patriotic enough for their country's good and for their country's glory to blot out every trace of bitterness or of unjustness and while ignoring and forgetting none of the memories of the past to look forward with transcendent visions of the future splendor of our common country. Now what's another term for that? Begins with an R. I'll give you a hint. Reconciliation. (laughs) He just didn't use the term, but this is what he's talking about. In fact, this is what William McKinley mentioned. This is what Taft mentioned. This is what Wilson mentioned. All three of these men who were president of the United States, two of them who were northerners. In fact, Taft made a point when the cornerstone was dedicated to say, you know, look, I'm maybe not the right man for this. I'm a Republican to make this... To, to give this uh, the speech here. But I think what this monument does is highlight the best of American society. If you don't believe that, you're really not an American. This is I'm paraphrasing. This is what he said. So now we have dopes like Aaron Thompson and Kevin Levine and all these other idiots running around that are saying, well, I mean, we need to take these things down. You have uh, Ty Sigeli and the Naming Commission. These people really are stupid. Because they're, they're supposedly historians, but they don't actually go out and read any of the history. If you just read this, there's no way you would think this monument has to come down in any way. Of course, Thompson's point is that it shows you a fake history of the South. It doesn't do that at all. Not in any way. We know there were slaves that stayed behind that, of course, had nursed children and had a, had a, had a bond with children and these kind of things. We know that happened because, well, Eugene Genovese and Fogel and Engerman talk about it. There's a lot of documentation for that. We know that there were blacks that marched off with Confederate soldiers as body servants and other things, uh, and that's in the monument. We know that happened. It happened, right? It happened all the time. This is documented. Now, what Levine will say is these people weren't black Confederates. Supposedly, the, the monument is showing a fake image of the black Confederate. When the people that talked about it said explicitly said they were body servants, they didn't say that they were soldiers however they were black Confederates because well they were marching off with the army and a lot of these people were paid pensions eventually they were recognized as black Confederates you see the problem is Levine and others play games with semantics if they weren't officially soldiers until 1865 well they weren't really Confederates but that's not true that's like saying if you weren't a Union soldier you weren't really pro-union well we know that's not true what about all the members of Congress they were all pro-union. They were unionists. <laughs> I mean, so what's the difference, right? Well, because that doesn't fit their narrative. You know, these, these people couldn't have, they couldn't have been in favor of this stuff. They were forced to do this. Well, what's a conscript? I mean, you get into all these different kinds of things, and it just doesn't make any sense. So then he says, thank God in doing so we sacrifice nothing of our loyalty to the glory of the past. We simply lock arms with our fellow citizens in faith and hope for the accomplishment of the great work Providence has assigned a free people under the impulses of a popular government. We simply lock arms with our fellow citizens in the faith and hope for the accomplishment and the great work of Providence has assigned the people under the impulses of a popular government. So look, we're locking arms with these people in the north. Again, it's about reconciliation. He says, We are glad this, this hour has come, Mr. Chairman. It witnesses the full consummation of your task. It is fragrant of that which is heroic and grand. 40,000 survivors of Confederate armies appreciate the beauty of this monument and say amen to the splendid message of fraternity and goodwill spoken by this scene today. To posterity, the South bequeaths the story of how 600,000 of the pride and flower of her sons struggle with the awful uh, injury of a horrid war to maintain her political faith and integrity. May the hands that fought be the hands that clasp and the hearts that bled be the hearts that rejoice. Again, what do we call that? Uh, We call that reconciliation. (laughs) That's what this is. Uh, I I don't know how else you could say this isn't a reconciliation monument. It's right there in in black and white. Then, of course, uh, Washington Gardner, who was the commander-in-chief of the Grand Army of the Republic, uh, made a speech. So this is the Confederate veteran making a speech. And now you have the commander of the Grand Army of the Republic. And I want to read one paragraph from this. Uh, because this again shows you, this is a, union's, uh, a Union soldier now. This is a Union soldier. I'm going to actually read a couple of paragraphs. He says, In the perspective of the receding years, the war looms in increasing proportions along the national horizon. Its great and beneficent results now everywhere recognized are gradually settling into the abiding conventions of all intelligent men. For full eighty years, the system of government founded by our fathers was regarded by many as an experiment. doubting patriots at home and unfriendly critics abroad foretold the coming certain dissolution of the union with much show of reason, they declared our government rested upon insecure foundation. excuse me. the recognized fundamental weakness was a constant menace to the permanency of the superstructure prior to the war, the existence of this weakness had with portentous threatenings, repeatedly manifested itself both in the North and the South. In light of the light the war for the preservation of the Union and for the settlement by the armament of arms of the great constitutional question involved in seemed, seemed inevitable. In that stupendous conflict, neither side will have to apologize for the sincerity or the devotion of its adherents. Now, look at that. He says, in, the stu- in that stupendous conflict, neither side will have to apologize for the sincerity or the devotion of its adherents. Neither side. This is exactly what now these Jacobins want to do. They want the other side to apologize. People that are now way removed. I mean, we're talking about great-great-great-grandsons of people have to apologize. For what? For what? The whole idea of having to apologize for something you had no part in is just completely stupid. But again, that's what's being forced on people now. He says, when the battle clouds lifted and the light of peace shone in, when the people had again become settled in their wanted avocations and dispassionately surveyed the results, it was found that the menace which had so long disturbed the tranquility of the people and threatened the existence of the Union had been forever removed. It was found that the fundamental issues involved had been irrevocably settled and that the foundation stones upon which the Republic rested had been cemented anew by the shed blood of our countrymen from the North and from the South. Now we are indeed an indestructible union of indestructible states, where in very truth a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, resting on an enduring foundation. As the fast vanishing lines of the surviving Federal and Confederate soldiers marching side by side in peace and amity enter the twilight and the fading afterglow of life's long day, soon to be forever lost to mortal sight, of one thing we may rest assured, and that is this. That is this. One thing, as we all die off, one thing is going to be rest assured. That whenever and wherever in future the battle line is drawn there will be found the sons of these heroic lathers and of their uh, scarcely less heroic mothers standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder, in defense of the Union and for the uh, perpetuity of the government founded by our fathers. What is that called? Well, that's called uh, Reconciliation. And then he says exactly, and a little bit earlier, he says what the monument is there for. And again, this is why I wanted to read this part of of this dedication ceremony. So he's saying specifically the monument. This memorial structure speaks the language of peace and goodwill. So you've got Aaron Thompson saying this monument speaks to racism. Well, you've got a guy from the Union A Union veteran standing in front of the monument on the dedication day saying, this memorial structure speaks the language of peace and goodwill. That's what it's... So you've got Aaron Thompson saying one thing, but then the actual people that put it up saying this. This is how stupid these people are. It's like when it gets to the Constitution. They say, well, the Constitution means this. You've got the actual people that wrote it and then ratified it saying it means this. But no, no, no today this is what it means. You see at the end of the day all these people like Aaron Thompson and Ty Sigerley and all these morons running around all they're really about is their own power. That's it. They want this the it's the ultimate Yankee position. They want to tell people what to do and if they can't do it, well then, Uh, they're going to do everything they can to make sure to force you in that direction. You've got a historical document right here saying this is what the monument is about. Not the guy that sculpted it, not the Confederate that would seem to benefit from this, but a Union veteran saying this is what the monument means. I don't see anything where he's saying this monument is about race. That's not there, right? But this is. He then says, It says to all who come hither and read the superscription that the swords and bayonets that once gleaned along the battle's fiery front have been beaten into plowshares and pruning hooks. It declares through the symbolical wreath of unfading laurel held an outstretched hand above the sleeping dead that the spirit of heroic devotion and lofty self-sacrifice which they manifested is held in grateful and affectionate memory. I mean, that's what the monument says. This is a man at the dedication ceremony saying, this is what it means. When you come look at this monument, this is what it means. Not all this other garbage that the Naming Commission came up with, or Aaron Thompson came up with, or all these stupid historians who are now, I mean, they're not really historians. They're political activists. All these political activists have come up with. None of that. This is what the monument means. They're still telling you what it means. And it means reconciliation, as he says over and over. The fact that all these people showed up, the president, this cabinet, other high uh, others high in the councils of government, and representatives from every section of the country. What it means is that the sectional bitterness and hate long preceding which culminated in the Great War no longer find a place in the hearts nor expression upon the lips of our countrymen. So who really is hating now? This monument's about peace and a lack of hate, and then we have the haters taking it down. Who's really hating? Who really has hate in their heart? Not the people that want it to stay there. Not the people that want to have peace and reconciliation. No. It's the people that hate that want to take these things down. And of course, Gardner said that it was fitting that these Confederate dead would be protected by the national government. Well, what's happened? Are they being protected by this anymore? No, they're not being protected at all. They're being disturbed. There's no fraternity anymore. There's no goodwill. You have people that hate, and you have no one willing to stand up, at least the president. President Trump did. He tried to but no conservative willing to stand up to protect these things And so if you've got any contact with these people the only way this can be stopped is through a lawsuit or even for Congress to, through legislation to say no 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 we're gonna stop this that monument's not coming down that's the only way to stop it and I don't see enough Republicans with a backbone actually staying standing up to do that I just don't see it they're not going to find any political benefit to it, and that's the problem with the Republican Party. It's also the problem with the Democratic Party. I mean, uh, they don't do anything unless it benefits them politically. All right. So I wanted to address this issue because when you say this thing about a monument, when you look at the actual documents that were written at the time, I mean, this is foolish. It really is stupid. It's the it's the epitome of the word stupidity, but. This is where we are in 2023. It's where we've been for several years now. And I don't know what's going to change it unless enough people just get, say enough of it. And they start putting pressure on people politically to try to do something different. It doesn't matter what party you are, but to try to do something different. And we have seen some monuments that you know, they haven't been taken down. But uh, we know that uh, in the highest levels of government, we've got a whole bunch of corrupt Stupid people running around, and that's the major issue. All right. See you next time with the Brian McLean Show. See you then.